0: Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 943 of the Lockdown Hawks podcast. I am your host, Brad Rowland, coming to you on a Wednesday evening into Thursday. And today's show is brought to you by Michelob Ultra. Are you happy because you win? Or do you win because you're happy? Now, with 2.6 carbs and 95 calories, it's only worth it if you enjoy it. Stay tuned for the Ultra Player of the Week coming up later in the episode. So, the Hawks get a big-time comeback win on this fine Wednesday, trailing by 19 in the second half and 16 with six minutes to go in the fourth quarter. If you miss this game... Uh, this is one of those where I will tell you all about it, but also I recommend watching it. It was a lot of fun in the fourth quarter. The Hawks just couldn't miss for a long period of time and uh, definitely a memorable game at the end of the uh, stretch here. So they sweep the back-to-back. Obviously, they lost to Miami the first time, uh, but you know the back-to-back wins here are huge heading into the All-Star break and uh, obviously a lot of positive momentum flying around for the Hawks. So a nice, fun game to talk about today, and we'll do that as we always do on the podcast, there was one bit of minor news at the beginning of the day on Wednesday, is that and that's that DeAndre Hunter made the Rising Stars roster. Um, obviously, there's not going to be a game this year for the rising star. So that's kind of a weird distinction, but I actually, uh, I was expecting this to happen. In fact, I had a full pre-write done at Peachtreehoops.com. Uh, once I know that they we're actually going to have this game, Hunter was pretty much a lock in my mind because he was so good before he went down. Obviously hasn't played in a while, but it's obviously good recognition for him and he played very well. So nothing else to say about that. Just, you know, get, get well soon, DeAndre and uh, a nice recognition for him at the outset. Um, Injury wise, a lot to touch on here at the top of the podcast. Um, on the bright side, Bogdanovich is now off the injury report entirely and played more in this game. That's very, very positive news. Uh, still without Hunter, Reddish, and Chris Dunn. And then Clickapella though, missed this game. So he's listed as questionable, kind of a surprise questionable, with right foot pain on Wednesday afternoon. Then he got downgraded to doubtful by Nate McMillan and then ruled out before the game started. They went with with Gallinari, um, obviously just kind of riding their better player instead of the matchup necessarily. But uh, Gallinari played very well in this game. We'll, We'll talk about that later on. But no Capella is a big loss, quite obviously, for this Hawks team, especially on defense. You know, Gallinari is a good offensive player. And defensively, he was better in this game than he has been for most of the season. But Capella, I've argued for a long time, is their second most indispensable player because of his defense, and the way they've kind of built the defense around him in a lot of ways. So that was a big loss. Um, on the other side, Orlando Orlando was missing basically all their key guys except for Lucevic and Terrence Ross. Evan Fournier was questionable and that he didn't play. Aaron Gordon missed this game as well. And they have no ball handling really at all. Like it's, my, it's Michael Carter Williams and nobody else. So, um, you know, the Hawks were still favored. This, that's kind of crazy to me. Um, that kind of tells you about how poorly Orlando was playing and how bad their roster is right now. Orlando has lost four in a row. Um, and also obviously have all those injuries, but the Hawks are on a back-to-back. The Magic were not on a back-to-back. The Hawks had no Clint Capella, and they were still favored on the road. So that tells you like, both that I think people understand the Hawks are better than they've been so far, and also the fact that Orlando is not very good. At any rate, uh, our our friends at BetOnline.ag, by the way, had the game uh, 3.5 in favor of the Hawks before the injuries, and then down to 3, and then down all the way to 2 once Capella was out, at least that I saw. And uh, this is, by the way, the only the only second one in the season for the Hawks on a back-to-back, second out of the back-to-back, so a positive there as well. I will say, if you missed the first half of this game, as I said before, it was a lot of fun to watch the second half. The first half was a slog, and the Hawks played very poorly. I tweeted at the halftime break, it was kind of a brutal watch. It was, it really was. I'm going to go through it still, but it was uh, not a lot of fun to consume. There were, there were a ton of runs in this game, most of which went to Orlando in the first half, and the most of which went to the Hawks in the second half. But a lot of like 8-0 runs, 10-2 runs, that kind of stuff. And we'll talk about some of those there, uh, some of those here. In fact, the first one came out of the gate. Orlando had a 15-5 to to start the game. They were scoring almost 1.8 points per possession in the early going. It was a pretty slow pace, but Orlando was really cooking offensively at one point at the outset. Um, the Hawks definitely were missing some shots as well, but defensively it was kind of a mess. As expected, on some level without Capella, but it was uh, a lot of disorganized stuff in the first half. Some bad efforts, some bad point of attack defense, and no reprotection protection with with Capella out of the lineup. So kind of a perfect storm there defensively. The rotation was pretty normal. They went to Bogdanovich and Hill first, then a Kongwu and Rondo, and they brought Gallinari back in at the four alongside um, Hill. At the three, So they only, uh, you know, they didn't go that much deeper other than Bruno Fernando playing a little bit, which we'll talk about in a second, but a pretty normal rotation, despite the fact that Capella was out. Um, the Hawks did have their one run in the first quarter. It was a 9-0 run, but then it was immediately a 7-0 back by Orlando. So basically, uh, the entire first quarter was a game of runs. So 15-5 by Orlando, 10-2 by Orlando, 9-0 by the Hawks, and 7-0 by, by Orlando. So at the end of the day, uh, the Hawks gave up 80 points. Famously, last night on Tuesday in in Miami, that was their best defensive performance of the season, by the numbers. Um, In the first quarter on Wednesday, against a Magic team that has a bottom five offense, Orlando scored 39 points in the first quarter. So almost half of what they scored, of what Miami scored the entire game on Tuesday. Um, Orlando was, I would say, unsustainably hot, for sure, from the floor. They made six threes in the first quarter, for instance, but... Obviously, some bad defense as well from Atlanta, so kind of a perfect storm. Uh, the offense was actually okay for the Hawks at the outset. Trey Young had 10 points in the first, like, 7 or 8 minutes. He was playing well out of the gate, and the offense was just kind of, like, average, not terrible. But they were still down, because defensively, they just could not get stops really at any point along the way. So, um, there's that. Now, from there, you get into a situation where the second quarter was... Better than the first for the Hawks, but in a pretty ugly way. So this kind of tells you the story in a lot of ways. But it was 22-15 to 15 magic at the end of the second quarter. So offense was not soaring on either end of the floor. The Hawks went with a bench lineup in the early going um, of the second quarter, as they often do. Kongwu really struggled. In this game, in fact, so did Fernando, which we'll talk about in a second again. But Akong Wu had a bad foul on the perimeter late in the first quarter. He dropped a pass or two in his first stint, had a moving screen, and then he got blown through by Mo Bamba at the rim for a put-back layup. It was a bad stretch, and he was kind of bad in this game. Overall, they brought Trae Young back in sooner than they normally did last night after being down by 14 points. The Hawks trail by as many as 16 in the first half of the second quarter, Um, and then got down 17 at the half. In fact... It was 17, but (laughs) as we'll talk about in a second, the actual margin was 19, and no one ever explained this. Um, I asked people that were there, the PR folks for the Hawks, and uh, the broadcast didn't really have it. Um, When they were going into the the locker room at the end of the first half, the Hawks were down 17. Everyone had that written down, the broadcast, all that, and then when they came back for the second half, it was 19. So I'm not sure if, I mean, it, it was on the Hawks' side too. It wasn't like they gave Orlando more points. It was a take away two points from the Hawks, and I'm not sure why or how. But that happened, and the Hawks still won, which is notable, but I never heard an explanation. So there you go. I'm sure there was one somewhere, but I just never heard it. At any rate, um, the Hawks were better defensively, for sure, in the second quarter. To be to be fair, um, they got a lot of stops. They played much, much better defense in the second quarter. But offensively, it was truly a slog, especially with the second unit on the floor. Um, Fernando came in. I'm not sure the plan was to play him. They were down 15. He played with about four minutes to go in the second quarter. And normally, your rotation's kind of set by that point in the game. But he came in there with the lead uh, growing for Orlando, and Bruno came in, had a couple rebounds early, had an easy bucket to finish, but then also airballed a layup and had a moving screen and a bad turnover, and it was about as bad as you could see it being. Um, That was really bad. Anyway, uh, the Hawks only (laughs) shot 7-21 from the floor in the second quarter and 1-9 of from 3. Obviously, there was some positive regression on the way in the second half. But the first quarter and first half offense overall, they had a sub-90 offensive rating before halftime, and you're just going to lose. I, you know, Orlando is better defensively than offensively, so I will still say, in the first half, I think the defense was worse than the offense on the whole, but the second quarter, that flipped. Uh, it was just not quite as much as the first quarter was, but the Hawks didn't take a free throw until 1.32 left in the first half. That is not characteristic of a team that is uh, above average in creating free throws. But still, the Hawks go into the break, down 17 slash 19, and they're in some big trouble. But we'll come back to that and much, much more on the second half that was much more fun to talk about. But before we get to that, it is time to reveal our Michelob Ultra Player of the Week on the podcast. This is the third edition of this. Two weeks ago, it was Troy Young. He'll obviously be in the mix every week and could be the award winner every week. Uh, Last week, it was Capella. This time, I am throwing a curveball and going with Tony Snell. Obviously, Tony Snell, not a huge name, not a huge star, And he only averaged about 7.5 points per game this week, which is not overly impressive. But he has been unbelievable as a shooter for quite some time. He was three or four in this game. I made a joke that wasn't even a joke about him just never missing on Twitter during this game. Uh, He shot 53% from three this week in the four games since the last time we talked about the Michelob Ultra Player of the Week. And the craziest stat from Snell is the fact that since the start of February, so we're at over a month now. He is shooting 64.6% from three-point range. One more time, 64.6% from three. This is for a guy who has been starting for the vast majority of that time time because of the injuries. Uh, The volume isn't overwhelming, but he's playing good defense. He's he's filling his role. Never going to be a huge guy who scores a lot or makes a ton of highlight plays, but the shooting has been unbelievable. And honestly, he's been extremely valuable because... The Hawks were so short-handed on the wing that they needed somebody to fill those minutes and he did a very very nice job of that. So, shouts to Tony Snell. Uh, not a misprint again. 64.6% from 3 for a month and uh honestly awesome performance from Tony Snell. In the end, are you happy because you win or do you win because you're happy at only 2.6 carbs and 95 calories? It's only worth it if you enjoy it. Joy creates success and enjoyment is not the end game, it's the whole game. Michelob Ultra and the Ultra Player of the Week is Tony Snell. Today's show is also brought to you by betonline.ag. Football may be over, but the NBA, college basketball, the NHL, and many more sports are in full swing, but there's only one place that has you covered, one place that we trust, and that place is betonline.ag. BetOnline is the fastest and easiest way to bet on all of your sports action, you can sign up today for a free account at betonline.ag. Use the promo code LOCKEDON for 50% welcome bonus with the site. On top of the NBA, college basketball, and the NHL, baseball is on the way in the near future and all kinds of additional angles to handicap, including awards, TV shows, and reality TV. In fact, there are dozens of real-time updated props on almost anything you can imagine, and Online has you covered for all of the news, scores, and odds, including future bets, if you want to look way ahead. It is the best way to place your bets, and it's free to sign up. Do not sit on the sidelines anymore. Instead, get in on the action and visit the website or use a mobile device to sign up today. Don't forget to use the promo code Locked On to receive that fifty percent welcome bonus with your first deposit. One more time, that is promo code Locked On for fifty percent welcome bonus at BetOnline.ag. BetOnline, your online sportsbook experts. Okay, the second half was much more entertaining. As I said before, um, down nineteen according to the scoring change that transpired 61-42, and obviously all Hawks from that point forward. An eleven to three run to start the second half from the Hawks, including three threes in short order from Collins, then Herder then Gallinari, and the free throws by Young to cut the lead down from 19 to 11. So that was the first important little push the Hawks made, because 19 is a lot. And you want to, the plan, I think, just broadly speaking, when you're down 19 at the half, is to just kind of dent it pretty quickly. And they did that, obviously, coming right out of the gate and getting it down to 11. Collins, though, got two fouls in 18 seconds, and that was his fourth, the last one, so he had to sit a lot and he did not play a ton in this game because of foul trouble um, he wasn't too bad actually I think he had some nice moments in the second half but he was uh, not as big of a factor which opened the door for even more Gallinari than expected but um, eventually after a 3 by Snell who never misses as I said before and the 3 by Trey the Hawks cut the lead from 19 down to 5 66-61 so it was an 8-0 run there and a 19-5 overall run by Atlanta to open the second half very impressive Now, Orlando did have the counterpunch that I thought was going to maybe sink the Hawks, quite honestly, because Orlando scored six in a row from there. Um, They brought the bench in, the Hawks did, and there was an 11-2 run by Orlando to go back up by 16. So it goes from 19 down to 6 and then back to 16. Now, it's not over at that point in time, by any means, but they trouble as many as 18 late in the third and 19 overall. Uh, That's a lot, (laughs) quite obviously. Um, Collins got his fifth foul, by the way, at the end of the third quarter. More foul trouble there. A big three that I think was an underrated play in the game by Gallinari at the end of the third quarter to have the lead go from 15 to 12. That's a it's it's only one shot I get that, but it was kind of a you know it just feels different to me. I'm not sure if that's just anecdotal or what, but they won the quarter by seven. The Hawks played well in the third quarter overall. Um, it still felt like they didn't make as big of a dent as they probably could have. But Trey had 12. They did they did their job in the third quarter very obviously. Then in the fourth. Um, it was not all sunshine and rainbows. They got, um, you know, they made one more push again at the beginning, at the beginning of the quarter, a 10 to four run behind Gallinari and Bogdanovich and Hill who all hit jumpers. They had a chance down six with the ball. Um, and then they didn't score. And then after on the other end of the floor, um, they gave up two offensive rebounds in a row when they were down by six and then Orlando scored there, they called timeout and then they hit back to back threes. So it was eight Oh run. And suddenly it goes up to 14 and again, sixteen point deficit with six minutes to go. That is the one that I will circle. There was all kinds of numbers to circle around the way of like how big the deficit was. They trailed by nineteen overall. That was the that was the most they trailed by the entire game. But sixteen with six minutes to go. That is a big deficit. I think I yeah I'm gonna read it to you. I'm gonna, I'm gonna read it myself now. Yeah, I said potential backbreaker with that run, and I and I mean that it, I I didn't close the door on the win necessarily, but. You know, I think everyone would admit that 16 with 6 to go is a tough proposition. But the Hawks got very, very hot at that point in time. They were already pretty hot in the second half anyway, and then they went absolutely supernova from there. So, a 3 by Collins, then a 3 by Gallinari after a stop, and that takes the lead from 16 down to 10 with 527 left. Those are two big shots. Then, this is a play, this is a play that Dominic Wilkins noted a lot too, and I, I circled it, I wrote it in red in my notes. Vucevic blew a extremely easy layup between those two shots that, you know, it's only two points. I get that, but that felt like one of those things that happens when you're about to blow a lead, uh, as someone who has watched a lot of blown leads in my life, uh, between Atlanta sports teams and my other teams that I, that I observe. Um, that was a big miss, a weird one by their best player and an all-star. That was a tough one. Um, then a timeout. So the Hawks are up, Hawks down 10 timeout hits. Tony Snell hits another three. He doesn't ever miss. Uh, to bring the Hawks to within 106.99. They got another stop, and then Herter hit a three to 106.102. So a 12 0 run entirely on threes by Atlanta to go from down 16 to down four. And that's basically the big thing that happened, honestly. Because once it's at four with three and a half, four minutes to go, like now it's a normal game. 16 with six minutes to go, the big swing, honestly, was those four threes in a row by the Hawks. That goes without saying in a lot of ways, but that was really the big, big, big thing in my opinion, anyway. Um, but from there, Young misses one. Actually, took took a pretty bad shot in my opinion. Kind of, you know, kind of a heat check, but just missed that one. Takes a charge and it was a good play by him in transition on MCW. Um, but it was challenged by Orlando, and they won the challenge. I don't like that call. I think it was. I think it was a block. To be fair, I think it was a bad call on the floor. But there was not enough for me to overturn that. That was a questionable decision to overturn that call, in my opinion. Um, at any rate, that gave them free throws to put them up 108-102 again, and then Collins misses an open three, but another huge rebound this time by Kevin Herter on the offensive glass kicks it around to Troy Young for a three to go back down by three. That was a nice little play by Kevin, who made a bunch of plays. In fact, he made a, he, in the next play he blocked Terrence Ross's shot. A not not exactly known for his uh, shot blocking ability, but Kevin made a nice play there defensively. Um, Trey then missed a the layup. I thought he got fouled. Honestly, on that one, um, at least live and I watched watch it one more time. I think he got a foul. It wasn't like a blatant, blatant, blatant foul, but certainly one in which I think he probably should have gotten the call. And it wasn't any different than what actually happened at the very end of the game when he actually got a call. But um a nice pass by young to Collins after that and that he he got blocked to the rim by Aminu. Uh trade-off, trade off, then Trey hits a big three on the left wing. And I will say, just an inexplicably terrible decision defensively by the Magic and particularly MCW, to just leave Trey Young. Like, the one guy in the world you don't want to leave. I mean, obviously you don't want to leave Tony Snell open or Kevin Herter open either. But Trey Young is the guy you do not want to just run away from at three-point line. And that happened. I don't know what happened there, but it was a breakdown by Orlando and Trey buried it. That was a big shot. And then Ross misses, misses a contested jump shot. And one more time, Tony Snell makes a corner three for the lead at 111-110. to 110. So it goes from 106-90 to 90 to 111-110. That is 21 points, uh, sorry, 21 to 4 run by the Hawks, and all 21, yes, all 21 points were threes. The Hawks went from 90 points to 111 on seven (laughs) three-pointers. That is not normal, Uh, especially in the fourth quarter when things are usually slowing down and you usually have a little bit less of that. Uh, That's a wild run from Atlanta, just burying everything along the way. Um, from there, some back and forth here. Vucevic misses a pretty good look, I thought, with about a minute to go that would have given Orlando the lead. Um, Trey then misses a step back uh, in the left corner on sort of a mid-ranger. It's a pretty decent shot. He just missed it. Orlando calls timeout with 27 seconds to go. They ran a pretty good, good uh, after-timeout play. Uh, Aminu missed the shot, actually, but Vucevic tips it in to give them the lead again with 18 seconds to go. So the Hawks come down, and... Young gets fouled by MCW with 8 seconds left. He makes both to take the lead. He went a little bit too quick for my liking there. I know that the theory there is to get, have time for a putback, but I think it was probably 3 or 4 seconds a little bit too early to give Orlando too much time. It still worked out. You can't complain too much because it worked. He got fouled. He made, he made both to give them the lead, but not ideal execution, I don't think, at the end of there for the Hawks. And then Terrence Ross... Got a pretty decent look on a floater. Uh, It was pretty decent defense as well for the Hawks. They didn't blow it in the way they have at times in the past. Obviously, the Cleveland game is the most recent one. But the Hawks got, you know, objectively, if that goes in, it's not a surprise. It was not a difficult, like a crazy difficult shot. But he misses it. The Hawks secure the rebound. They foul John Collins with about a second to go. He makes both. And that is the end of that. So... Again, the big run was that seven consecutive threes, but it kicked off by the, first, by the first four that was uh, the 12-0 run. The Hawks made nine threes in the fourth quarter. That is the season high for any quarter this season, and it was the last quarter before the All-Star break. That's uh, some interesting synergy there uh, to make, have your best shooting quarter of the entire first half in the last quarter. They were nine of 13 from three. And again, seven of those in the last six minutes. So nine in a quarter is impressive on its own. Seven in a six-minute span is even more impressive. And Orlando missed six... Sorry, Orlando missed nine of their last ten shots. So as the Hawks are going supernova, Orlando just could not make a shot, including a couple of uh, missed bunnies, including the one bad one from Vucevic. So sometimes you got to make shots, and their team doesn't. And that happened here, and uh, it's kind of to the extreme with the Hawks bouncing back after a bad shooting uh, first half. And uh, obviously that was the story of the game in a lot of ways. In fact, uh, I'm not sure if this is more impressive or less, but the Hawks made... 15 threes in the second half. 15 of 24. So for reference, the Hawks made 21 threes in the game. That's a ton. The franchise record was 22 until last week or whatever it was uh, against Boston. So to make 15 and a half is like wild. And that happened in the second half of this game. Uh, Orlando led the league in rebounding defensively coming into the game and then dominated the glass in the first half. And then the Hawks won the rebounding battle in the second half. Which is not a small thing when you factor in like the way that Orlando plays, no capella, and all that. So that's, that's impressive. Last thing on t- sort of the obscure stat realm, the Hawks scored 20 points in the paint. Now, we don't always talk about that stat a ton on this podcast. But uh, let's just say like a very good mark for points allowed in the paint per game. I do some work on this every once in a while at NBA.com. Like the team, like the league leaders in defensive points allowed in the paint, I should say, average like forty, like thirty-nine, forty a game. The Hawks scored twenty points in the paint and won. <laughs> that doesn't happen really ever, and the only way it does happen is if you make a ton of threes. So there's trade-offs there. Obviously, you you'll take the threes, but twenty points in the in the paint in a win is uh, not a normal thing that happened in this game. So all that said, offensively, the Hawks end up scoring about 1.2 points per possession uh which is uh excellent <laughs> which is hilarious because they were so bad at times in the first half and the numbers were so ugly but when you go as crazy as they did in the second half that's what happens and you balance out in a positive realm they only had 12 turnovers that's that's manageable they shot the ball great obviously 26 assists in a relatively slow paced game is pretty impressive as well um and we'll talk about the individual players in a second. Defensively they end up they end up allowing 1.17 points per possession which is bad against Orlando. Orlando averages about 1.05. They're a bad offense. They're again bottom 5 offense in the league. But the very large portion of that damage happened in the first quarter and a half essentially. After halftime, the Magic were extremely ordinary offensively, if not worse than ordinary. Uh they were 14 of 40 from the floor and 6 of 17 from the from three from three in the second half. The only saving grace was that Orlando made 17 of 17 at the free throw line after halftime. In fact, fact, both teams took 17 free throws after the half. It was a slog, because in the first half, there wasn't a lot of free throws, actually. That was the only thing that saved the first half, in a lot of ways, was the kind of flow to which there was not so many stoppages. But anyway, the defense for the Hawks was not good in the game overall. I think it's hard to overstate how bad it was at times in the first quarter, but after the first quarter, it the numbers were good and they put up a lot more resistance. They got beat up a little bit by, by Vucevic as expected without uh, Capella. Carter Williams got a little bit free. They were there was some bad point of attack defense for the Hawks overall. And Terrence Ross is a Hawks killer. He went crazy uh, at, at times in this game. But aside from those three guys, they did a pretty good job overall. And you know, second through fourth quarters, it was much much better. So not going to pile on about the defense. They did a decent job um, after the first quarter. So at the end of the day. <laughs> A win that you'll take. Uh there were times in which the Hawks were, you know, maybe five percent to win this game on paper in one of those, you know, predictive models, and they won it anyway, so a memorable performance in the second half. And we'll touch on that with much, much more on the individual stuff and we'll look ahead to the second half any moment. But first, a word from our friends at rockauto.com. With more makes and models than ever, it's now impossible to stock all the auto parts that you need in a traditional chain storefront. Why would you endure questioning from a counterperson that's often totally pointless, especially when they were only going to give you the parts or the brands that the warehouse happens to carry? Instead, you have rockauto.com, either at home or in your pocket, and that is the best possible option. rockauto.com is a family business, serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. You can go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. They have everything you need from engine control modules and brake pads to tail lamps, motor oil, and even carpet. Whether it's for your classic car or your daily driver, get everything you need. Just a few easy clicks delivered directly to your door. Best of all, prices at rockauto.com are always super low and the same for pros and you selfers. So why spend up to twice as much for the exact same parts? Go to rockauto.com and see all the parts available for your car or your truck. And from there, you want to write locked on in their how-did-you-hear-about-us box so they know that we sent you to them. Amazing selection, reliable low prices, all the parts your car will ever need. rockauto.com all right, we'll close up shop here with some individual breakdowns as well as a brief look ahead to the second half at the end of the podcast. So, individually, the bench was not a strength, once again, for the Hawks in this game. Uh, there were some moments, though. Uh, Bogdanovich had nine points. He was the leading scorer off the bench. He played 20 minutes. I suspect that was his cap. Um, no one ever said that, to my knowledge, but Bogdanovich playing a back-to-back here, played more minutes than he did last night, and then he kind of just abruptly came out after kind of you know, playing well and leading some of the charge in the second half. He came out right at twenty, so I'm assuming that was probably what the uh, cap was. That's just some some deductive reasoning from me. But nine points, two rebounds, and assist. Had a block, minus four, but just didn't shoot. You know, three eight from the four, one of five from three. He's looking okay. He's rounding into form, and hopefully that continues. He gets not, he gets a week off here. That's probably helpful as well. And we'll see how he looks beginning next week. Uh, Rajan Rondo had four assists. Couple of nice moments, a couple of shakier moments. His point of attack defense was not was not good. He was not the only one by by any stretch. He was, uh, you know, run of the mill. I'll say nothing nothing terrible that I wanted to point out and like that, that drove me crazy, but nothing great either. Solomon Hill made two threes that were important. Uh, was minus 11, and then defensively, I think he was one of the bigger culprits, actually, in the first half, which is weird for him, he's usually very solid thing not always, like, great, but solid enough, he had some breakdowns, I thought, in the first half, that were, uh, I think, on him, for the most part, um, Akangwu was quite bad, I thought, he he did have four rebounds, but had three fouls, had two turnovers, dropped a bunch of passes, 0 of 2 from the floor, 13 minutes, he was better in the second stint, but that's kind of a low bar to clear, uh, you know, one step forward, two steps back kind of thing for Kongwu, who was really good, I thought, on Tuesday, and, th- and I said that on the podcast, but he was rough in this game, and Fernando was probably even worse. Bruno played five minutes, only one stint, uh, two re- two points, four rebounds, same as Kongwu there, had two turnovers, but I can't overstate how bad that stretch was. Uh, I guess the first minute or so, he made a layup and had a couple of rebounds, but that the last three or four minutes of the second half, of the first half, was uh, not good for Fernando, and that was, you know, this is a game in which they could have used a center-sized guy like him, and that's probably why they threw him out there, on some level. But it just did not work for either of the backup centers, and that's why the Hawks ended up riding Gallinari as much as they did in the second half of this game. Um, to the starters, everyone made shots. In fact, all five starters made at least three threes. That is a pretty good indication of a job well done for the shooting department. Kevin Herter, 13 points, 6 rebounds, 3 assists, 2 steals, and a block. He was very well-rounded and played well. It wasn't like a massive scoring night or a massive, you know, you know, creation night. He had 6, six assists, is pretty good. But plus 7, did a little bit of everything. 5-11 from the 4, 3-7 from 3, just like played a well-rounded, very nice game. Tony Snell, uh, as I said before, the Michael Ultra Player of the Week. Uh, th- 11 points, 3 assists, 3 rebounds, 3-4 three, from the free, from 3-point land uh, in this game. I will point out... Tony Snell has still not attempted a free throw this season. I am firmly on free throw watch for Tony, as I've said multiple times in the last couple weeks on the podcast. Uh, he got one in this game that I thought could have been a free throw attempt. He was driving into the lane. He took a shot and got fouled, but it was a charge. So we were so close to getting a Tony Snell free throw attempt. It just didn't happen. And maybe it'll happen uh, early next week. But anyway, Tony Snell has been awesome. Shots to Tony Snell. Uh, John Collins, kind of quiet. 15 points, though. Nine rebounds. The biggest thing was was the fouls. He only played 26 minutes because of the five fouls. And again, I think he got his third, fourth, and fifth fouls in about three minutes of game time, if that, maybe even less. Because his third and fourth came in a single minute, and then he sat for a long time, then it got his fifth pretty quickly as soon as he came back in. So that was kind of a problem. What he was playing he was good. Uh, normally, Orlando has kind of been a kryptonite of Johns in the past, but in this game, he played well. 15 points plus 14, nine rebounds. He wasn't terribly efficient. He was 4 of 11 from the floor, made three threes, got to the line four times. He was fine. He just he just got in foul trouble and didn't wasn't able to play as much, but when, he was out there when it mattered and was a big part of what they did. Um Gallinari, I thought was really good in this game. You know, I I I've, I've, I've uh, picked on him a little bit, I think justifiably, this year for being as bad as he's been defensively and not having enough offensively to make that ju- juice worth worth the squeeze, but in this game, he was a better on defense and B good on offense. So 23 points, 9 rebounds, 6 assists, 2 steals and a block, plus 7, um, 5 threes on, on 10 attempts, um, 8 of 18 from the floor overall. Not like not like not incredibly efficient, but definitely efficient enough. Rebounding was good for him. It's been a weakness so far this year by his standards. Um, pretty good in this game. Passing, 6 assists, obviously very good. I will say, you know, no one stopped Vucevic in this game, uh, but Gallinari Gall- did a pretty good job on him, especially, especially in the fourth quarter. Gallinari is... Um, not the most fleet of foot, but neither is Vucevic. So that's actually kind of sneakily a decent matchup for Galinari. Not that anyone wants to cover Vooch, because no one does. But in terms of what Gallinari's strengths actually are, is that he's very big, and he's physically, you know, kind of strong. So he didn't stop him by any means, but I think he held up well when it mattered in the fourth, and that, that kind of allowed the Hawks to play him at the end of the game, and not have to worry too much about that. In fact, at the end of the game, the last possession, um, up one... The Hawks had Gallinari on the court and Trey Young off the court. Now having Trey off the court defensively is not is not a surprise. That's happened before, but that was notable to me. Um, that was the right decision, I think. But you know they didn't trust somebody else to go in there for Gallinari. Now, granted, the counterpoint there would be who else would they put in because they had already put in Solomon Hill for Trey Young, and Madonovich was capped out on minutes, I assume. So again, <laughs> the counterpoint would be. Your other options are Okonwu and Fernando. So I get that maybe you just leave Gallo out there, but he was out there and he did fine. So again, I think I think overall, Ganari was good in this game. It's uh, an encouraging performance from him. And it wasn't all, you know, the Boston game was such a, fluke's the wrong word, because he's obviously capable, but he made 10 threes. Like that, that's not something that's going to happen every, every game. In this game, he made a sustainable amount of shots, played pretty good defense, got rebalanced, generated assists, and uh, it was a well-rounded good night from Gallinari. And then Trey Young was awesome. Um, 32 points, 8 assists, 2 steals, 4 rebounds, 9-19 from the floor, 4-7 of seven from 3, 10-11 from the free throw line. Just a very, very nice game from Trey. Um... In contrast to the last couple of games where he started out slow as a scorer, he had ten of the he had ten of the first twenty for the Hawks in this game, and he was pretty consistent throughout the game. There were a couple of uh, quick quick trigger shots in the fourth quarter that I didn't love, but aside from that, like he made every play, he got to the line at the end, a couple nice passes in the, in the fourth quarter, um, you know, hockey assists, that kind of stuff. Uh, defensively, it was pretty bad from him, and again, not just him. I talked about other guys that were poor in the first half with point of attack. Like Carter Williams was really just kind of going right through Trey and right around him at times in the first quarter, first half or so. It was a little bit better after the halftime break. And overall, again, you can't overstate. like His offense is so effective. He has to be guarded in a different way and was plus eight in this game. So uh, Trey was awesome, and there you go. a Nice way to end the first half of the season. So at this point, the Hawks are 16-20. and 20. Now, that's not great, but it's better than better than the alternative of losing the last two games. And they're in perfectly fine position. There are games tomorrow that the Hawks are now done. There are games on Thursday, so this is going to change. But at this moment, the Hawks are one game out of ninth. And they're one and a half games out of sixth in the East. So, the gap between four... At this moment in time when I'm recording this late on Wednesday night, the gap between four and ele- 11 where the Hawks are is two and a half games so as i said before the schedule is fairly easy for the hawks overall in the second half there is there is one gauntlet of an eight game road trip that we'll talk about later on um, next week probably but it's uh that's going to be tough but if they can survive that the schedule from there is like maybe a bottom five in terms of like easiest in the league so kind of a tale of two halves there but the hawks are in good shape there If they can get Hunter back in the near future, that would be very helpful. But Badonavich being back now is not a small thing. Obviously, we'll we'll probably hear something about Reddish in the near future. But the Hawks are healthier now than they've been for a while, as long as Capella is not a long-term issue, and knock on wood on that one. But the Hawks are in better shape um, roster-wise than they have been. They uh, will have some rest here to regroup. They'll have some time to have McMillan install some stuff over the next week or so. The Hawks can't practice, by the way until Wednesday, so they, they are literally mandated to have a week off from this point forward, so no practice, no availabilities, nothing for the next week, and then they'll have one practice, basically, and then they play again next Thursday, so we'll see, but I'm, I'm very confident the coaching staff will be gathering in some form, whether on Zoom or whatever, and, and McMillan will be diving in to his new responsibilities to sort of put his stamp on this team, but regardless, the Hawks now have a week off and they're in position that is just fine. You know, I've said this a number of times, but I'll say it again now for clarity if I have new listeners or whatever. Um, I've kind of long said the Hawks have not been as bad as everyone has talked about them as being so far. Like, I made this point before, but I'll make it one more time here in the first half of the uh, of the season. Um, if you told me what they were not going to get from the Frazeans this year, and that Hunter was only going to play half the games, uh, I would have told you that 16 and 20 was perfectly fine. Uh, if not better than I would have thought because if you think about it the Hawks are basically playing with last year's roster plus Capella and that's not a very, a very good team uh but Trey's been really good Capella's been really good Collins has been good uh, obviously Hunter was awesome before he came before he got hurt um they got some stuff from Tony Snell and all that stuff so at the end of the day we can re we can redo this and maybe we will again later on next week or something like that but 16 and 20 is fine it's not great It's not terrible. The Hawks have now outscored their opponents for the season. And uh, that's a pretty good indicator for the future. And for me, again, the biggest thing is health. If the Hawks have competent wing health when it comes to Herder, Herder's been healthy all season, but Reddish, Hunter, Badanovich, If they have a couple of those guys, not even all three, just give me a couple of those guys. And uh, some other health somewhere else. Galnari getting more acclimated now. The Hawks are in good shape to make a run of some sort. Now, is that going to be the four seed? Maybe not. I would not pick them be that high, but at this moment in time, I would pick the Hawks and make the playoffs. I would, and um, may and maybe via the playing game, via the playing tournament, because of the Holy dug themselves. But honestly, you know they're only two games back of New York. They're one and a half back of Charlotte. They're one back of Chicago. I think they're better than all three of those teams. Quite honestly, I know the Knicks have beaten the Hawks, so that's not like going to look great in my uh, mentions, maybe, but. I think the Hawks are better than all three of those teams on paper, as long as they have semi-reasonable health. And I picked the Hawks ahead of the Pacers before the season started. So, it's all gr- it's all grouped together, but as my sort of final parting thought in the first half of the season, the Hawks are in just fine shape, and we'll see how they fare in the second half of the campaign. So, thank you for listening to the podcast the entire first half, and even before that. I know I've had lots of listeners that have been enjoying me for a long time, and thank you very much for doing that. If you're a new listener... Please subscribe to the podcast. That's the, best, that's the best thing that you can do to support the show, as well as uh, rate, review, tell your friends, all that stuff. You can follow the show on Twitter at Hawks You can follow me on Twitter at BTRoland for all of uh, my random musings during and after and before games. And as a programming note, I am not going to record again until Sunday or Monday, probably. I'm going to take a mini Respite here. I've still done four or five podcasts this week, so not really a break of any kind, but I will have at least, I will say, at least a couple shows between now and when the Hawks play again. As a reminder, the Hawks' next game is next Thursday, the 11th in Tampa, so about eight days from now, seven days from now, depending on when you're listening to this. So a week off, the Hawks have no direct involvement in the All Star game either at this point in time, with no representatives in the contest. And at this moment, Trey Young has not been added to a uh, injury replacement just yet. So, um, No episodes, barring big news. If there's big news, if there's a trade or something weird, I will jump in. If Trey gets named to the All-Star Game, I'm not going to do a podcast about that. That's not really a topic (laughs) on the podcast. Uh, I think he should have made it, and I said so. But other than that, I'm going to take a a couple days off here to uh, hopefully recharge a slight amount if I have some time to do that. But again, please subscribe. I'll be back again next week with at least... I would say at least two, probably three shows between now and the uh, first game in Tampa against Toronto next Thursday. So thank you as always for listening, everybody, and we'll see you all next time.